You're listening to Culturally Speaking. This is Janice. And this is Neha. And we're here to talk about all things cultural. Okay, welcome to another episode of Culturally Speaking. We've got a guest with us today. Um, I'd like to introduce Mashal. Um, Mashal grew up in Pakistan but is living it up in London as a crazy management consultant as she describes it and Mashal over to you thank you very much for joining us. Thank you guys I'm really excited to be here I've been uh, tuning into your previous episodes um, and I think it's really cool what you guys are doing and also so important sort of in COVID isolation times to have some form of creative expression so super excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I am really interested about this because it marries two of my favorite things, um, this particular topic. Of course, all of our wonderful cultural heritage, but coupled with fashion. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're talking about today? Yeah, so like you said, what I'm talking about is actually quite ubiquitous. Um, But it has this really interesting sort of social, cultural, and I'd say even religious significance um, in Pakistan. And so I like to call it the soul of Pakistan. And that's um, pun fully intended, because what I want to talk about is shoes. Um, And like, for me, you know, the, the instant sort of associations with that, especially when I was younger, was either like Cinderella's glass slipper when I was older, maybe like Carrie Bradshaw's shoe closet. Um, but, <laughs> Those uh, were no lows. <laughs> yeah, basically, that I that I could never have and just really think about. And, um, but I, um, when, when I was in Pakistan, I sort of had a conversation with um, a shoemaker here and they're called mochis in Pakistan so like the the Japanese dessert so mochis um they're sort of an institution in Pakistan because every city has uh, these really famous mochi bazaars or shoemaker markets like we um, call them Um, and I was talking to one of them and I just sort of realized that it's it's so much more than just about um aesthetics or creating something that's functional for them it's like a labor of love Um, so the mochis here mostly work with leather Um, and what's really interesting is that they're family-run businesses so it's a skill that's passed down from generation to generation so they take a lot of pride in their craft and and he was telling me how it takes them about four hours to do uh, a pair of shoes so they churn out say two pairs of shoes a day Uh, So it's not really about the commerce for them. Um, And that got me really interested to sort of look into that and and think about what what it really means. Um, And I and I sort of went back and tried to figure out what the what the history of these, um, you know, shoemakers and, and sort of tanneries in Pakistan was and and it kind of originated way back in the 19th century when um, British soldiers um, in what was then British India essentially had set up these tanneries and these production lines because they needed harnesses and boots etc and then when they left India in 47 um, these production lines turned to making these domestic products like belts and bags and you know shoes Um, and so I, I found it really interesting what the what the history of that was and how sort of even um, communities were organized around it so 
Um, I don't know if you guys are f- uh, familiar with it, but in Bombay, for instance, there's a, a Dharavi market, which is actually in the biggest one of the biggest slums in India. Um, and it was yes. in that movie, uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah, I know exactly mm-hmm. where you're talking. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently that's the sort of single largest hub for sale of leather goods in India. And it has about 5,000 workshops. So this craft has basically given communities there making these leather goods has kind of given them a unique identity and a sense of purpose and i and i found that really interesting and similar to that in lahore um, there's 15 gates into the walled city of lahore uh, which the Mughals had built and one of those gates is actually called the mochi darwaza so it's literally called the shoe gate and was named after the shoe market inside but right next to it is something called Mochi Bar, which literally translated is um, shoe garden, which actually has nothing to do with shoes. Um, it is actually one of Pakistan's most famous sort of political rally spots. Um, and we've had really famous leaders like there was Zulfikar Ali Bhutto, who's I, I think one of was one of the most popular prime ministers in Pakistan, who delivered a lot of fiery speeches there. And until the 80s, people would sort of say if a politician couldn't speak there, they really weren't worth their salt. So, you know, this this identity that mochis or shoemakers uh, gave those communities or areas has been not just carried through generations, but it's sort of pervasive across society and politics. And and it's just really fascinating the way that that's evolved. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of where I got into this fascination about, about shoes and what they mean in Pakistani society. Um, and obviously now it's threatened by this sort of proliferation of machine-made shoes um, and international brands. And there's a brand called Bata, um, which growing up, I always thought was a Pakistani brand. Like I didn't even, (laughs) even the name sounded very Pakistani to me, Um, but apparently it's a Swiss brand. And they actually have 40% of their stores in South Asia because they have such a large market there. But it's it's literally a household name here. Um, and then we have some really other interesting local brands, which are which are really funny names. Like one of them is called Stylo. Um, and another one is called English Boot House, which I guess is an ode to the origins of, of leather and mochis and how it all started um but if you go to buy a shoe there it's such a different experience from what you'd have in a mochi bazaar because the mochi bazaar experience is so bespoke and personalized and what you get at the end of the day is is um, so unique right but if you go to one of these stores can we talk a little bit about what that experience is like um when you go and get is is the shoe made for you specifically yeah so so people do sort of different things what some people tend to do is they look at um they look at a design online and they will want to copy it but they want to get it at a fraction of the price um or you might sort of have an idea of what you want your shoe to look like so you'll take that design um to the mochi and some people also bring their own leather um so 
you know, you could you could do that, but a lot of people will just get it straight from the mochi. Um, and then you sort of work with them to create this. And, and like I said, it's for them, it's really a labor of love because it takes such a long time to do. Um, and there's some there's a there's a social enterprise here that's kind of created this online store um, to sell these mochi shoes. And uh, what's really interesting is that if you kind of enter the barcode in online, it tells you the entire story of the shoe. So it tells you how, who designed it and who conceived the idea and what the story of the craftsman is and where they're situated and where the raw material came from. So it's it's kind of a it's a very collaborative sort of interesting experience to get a shoe made from a mochi. How okay, so I grew up in Hong Kong and her family in China, right? And not so much shoes, but for everything else, we can kind of also do the same if you have a tailor and uh, in, in the family. So we used to okay, I think he's he's not our bespoke tailor, but our family uses him and this guy was in Shanghai and I remember my brother and my dad taking you know shirts from Polo Ralph Lauren or whatever brand and this guy just replicates the same shirt for them at a fraction of the price with whatever fabric they choose is that kind of what people do with shoes and how how good is the quality yeah, so with the so some people do do that um, and sort of try to replicate designer shoes and the quality is always really great because Pakistan has very high quality leather um, and and these mochis because it's a skill that they kind of pass down through generations um, you know it's not like they've gone and had some formal training it's it's sort of you know sounds cliched but it's in their DNA and since they've been kids they've been working with their parents in these um, mochi bazaars or mochi shops right so they've really just had a really long history of doing that but in terms of sort of copying the designs there's a lot of shoes which are quite uh, and styles which are quite unique to Pakistan or even just the subcontinent, um, which not all of them are leather, but some of them are. And, and one of them is actually the um, Peshawari Chappal. Um, so that, the, so Paul Smith actually did essentially what was a Peshawari Chappal in 2014. Um, but there was no sort of mention of the, the Pakistani version of it. So there's this whole outcry on social media about cultural appropriation, etc. And mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Louboutin did the Peshawar chapel as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think the Louboutin version is quite like um, it's like there's gems and obviously quite bougie. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's a bougie Peshawar chapel. <laughs> like you would get a bougie chapel for like an occasion, though. Any, I mean, we would certainly. I don't know if you would. Let me look at the LV one. <laughs> you know what's actually really popular over here, like. People wear like um, uh, Gucci loafers here a lot. <laughs> like they're obsessed with them. What is that about? <laughs> but I don't know. It's just this. There's this like stereotype of like a Pakistani boy who's like trying to be really bougie and show up. Yeah, and it's the Gucci loafers, and then it'll be like a big like belt with belt. a big like LV or the Hermes, the Hermes belt. Yeah with the like popped collar and it's like I'm going slightly <laughs> off topic it's really funny when I go out 
go out for a walk now because like you see these boys like trying to jog or exercise and you look at their quote unquote workout gear and it's all these designer <laughs> brands and I'm like it's clear that before this like COVID thing you've literally not like jogged a second in your life and you have no clothes to do it and you have nowhere to go so you just want the people on the streets to like see your popped collar and your boozy shirt but yeah the popped collar kills me like actually I never I never understood Gucci no like I'm sorry if I offend anyone listening but I just I've never owned anything Gucci and I've never wanted to buy anything Gucci it's just you know the green and the red Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, that just doesn't work for you. You also get a lot of Chinese guys that wear a lot of Gucci, though, as well, Janice. Actually, Chinese guys, you see a lot of Polo Ralph Lauren, but you know, since they've kind of rebranded and have this gigantic <laughs> logo instead of the really nice small one, <laughs> yeah, everything just looks like counterfeit. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, like it just comes out looking fake. And Louis, Louis Vuitton as well. If you wear designer on designer, it just looks fake. Like you have to be yeah. slightly subtle about and it. Actually, in with Chinese people, what I see a lot is people wearing those Chanel earrings. You know, the ones yeah. where you can see the little C and C together. Yeah. And um, a lot of LVs. So now that you've looked up the Peshwari truffles, let's go back a minute. So Mash, I think you were telling us. Yeah, so I was saying Louboutin again did a version of it. Um, and but what he did was he actually he said it was like an homage to to the Peshawar chapel and named it after his friend um, Imran Qureshi who was actually this famous uh, contemporary artist in Pakistan so that had more of a mixed reaction but what was actually really interesting was the the mochis or the cobblers in Peshawar that actually made this chapel were not outraged by it they were just sort of bemused because Obviously, he was selling it for like $500 and you could get it for like five over here. So they were like, hmm, maybe we should jump on that bandwagon. Um, and before this, they, like this Peshawari Chapel had actually lost a lot of its popularity in um, areas outside Peshawar. And then Imran Khan, who's our prime minister right now, um, but back then was sort of leading these series of like populist protests across the country. He had this really uh, sort of playboy cricketer image um, that he then needed to transform into this, you know, man of the people, um, you know, I'm I'm here for you on the streets kind of image. So he started wearing the Peshawari chappal. And and after that, the popularity really picked up and these shoemakers in Peshawar were like, yeah, since he's worn it and he's been on television with it, our orders have just spiked up. And so again, it was really interesting how this shoe was basically used to, you know, do a makeover of sorts of this politician and, and like play this part in completely transforming his image. The shoe is almost kind of a sign of where you've come from and like what you represent, I guess. Yeah. And and, and it's what how you're what you're choosing to say about yourself, right? By what you're putting on your feet. So I think it's interesting when you mention cultural appropriation and how I guess a very traditional or like normal item gets popularized in fashion. So this bag with this red blue and white pattern and this is again a Louis Vuitton version of it and the thing is 
this kind of bag ever since I was little, ever since maybe even the 50s, 60s in Hong Kong. This is just a very, very cheap kind of nylon plastic material bag that we use to move things. So this is basically like a sack for us. So when a lot of international brands started making bags and clothes out of this pattern, I think the general Chinese population was just a bit like, what are you even doing? <laughs> like, this is like, you know, those sacks you would use to, let's say, you know, when you go buy rice in a market. Yeah. A rice sack. Pretty much making a dress out of a sack and calling it fashion. So the whole Chinese population is like, um, sorry, what? Like, we can buy this for maybe 10p down the market. <laughs> Why are you selling it for, like, thousands of pounds? But, you know, that's so interesting to me because, like, even... You know, even if you go to Selfridges, for instance, and you mm. go to some of these stores, right, they sort of have this hierarchy of customers that they uh, pander to, right? So if you're mm-hmm. Asian, 100%. Yeah, like if you're Chinese or if you're Arab, right, they will like lay out the red carpet for you. So I find it really interesting because obviously appropriating from a community like Pakistan is not quite the same thing. So to think of the fact that um, LV's clientele will be would recognize yeah, this, right? Yeah. So, so it's I don't understand what the the sort of rationale behind that is, or that now it's just become you know no people don't really seem to give a second thought to it. Is that the genius move though? The fact that they're they've culturally appropriated from cultures that are their main clientele and are getting people yeah. to pay thousands of dollars. I don't know. Because the thing is, I've got four of these in my cupboard right now. Like the LV versions or the the no, right the, the, the normal version. How rich are you? Because <laughs> we use them for moving stuff, right? And for packing things. And I think personally, because I know the origins of the pattern, I'd even go as far as saying, well, I definitely don't want to spend that much money on something that is considered quite cheap. Yeah. Because it's just the association, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're investing that much, you you want it to look like it's something special. But on, the flip side of that is if you have so much money, you really don't care. <laughs> That's not your, your thought process at all. Back to, back to shoes, right? Because we were talking about shoes before bags. Um, I have a pair of Manolos and I have a pair of Louboutins. And I think I've told Neha before, I've never worn the Louboutins outside ever right and i think that is that was a bad investment on my part cuz they're too uncomfortable cuz i didn't want to scratch the bottoms so i've only worn them in on carpeted floors oh right cuz you're too afraid to ruin them yep <laughs> Um, and that's that's interesting what you say about like sort of wearability as well because in Pakistan there's this really famous shoe called a khusa, Um and it's actually like back in sort of like 5,000 years ago it was these ancient civilizations from Harappa that used to wear it but then the Mughals really kind of popularized it um, and now there's like it's it's not just something that people kind of wear as a fashion statement but it's also it's one of the only it's the only kind of footwear where you can wear it on either foot um and it it's really interesting because it molds itself to the shape of your foot so sorry you can wear it on either foot yeah i'm confused so if you if you google them and see what they look like essentially the way that they're designed is you could just wear 
you, you, there's no left or right um and it like i said it molds the it molds to the shape of your foot so then it's kind of addictive right because you really feel like it it just makes your feet look really good and there's this um store in lahore which is called khusa mahal and mahal means palace um which is literally basically this massive palace looking store just full of khusas and it's become this like major tourist attraction now and and when you go to lahore it's one of the things to do is to go to khusa mahal and and find yourself a pair of khusas because what they managed to do is take this shoe that's like super colorful and like embroidered and all of that but it's also sort of quite easy and comfortable to wear and slip in and out of and then that's where you really sort of hit the mark right when you're making something that's wearable but then also kind of makes you feel a bit special so let's talk about wearability for a second because i think both of us coming from sort of the asian subcontinent there's an aspect of we don't wear shoes around the house um mm-hmm. typically because and in special places and so the yeah so so it's just in terms of religious places and even if you're at home but you're praying mm. um as a sort of sign of respect uh your shoes are usually taken off right to the point where even um there's this really famous um pop singer over here who's this guy called Atif Aslam and he there's a really famous picture of him of his shoes um when he was going to sing this um sort of uh, this it's like a song but it's it's kind of a holy song um because it's basically like a plea to the prophet to bestow mercy on the needy kind of a thing um and he took his shoes off just because he was singing the song so he wasn't actually in prayer but because he was saying those words and because it was sort of him speaking to the prophet um he had taken his shoes off because he said that will put me in the sort of correct mind frame to be able to do that um but equally um on the flip side of that like um shoes are also that so I, there's also such a thing as a shoe protest so famously obviously in i think it was 2008 when George Bush was in Iraq and someone sort of flung their shoe at him right and and using that sort of continuing that same vein of thought associating shoes with something that's not as like holy or pure and then flinging them at someone as a form of protest and it happens in Pakistan as well so there was um general musharraf who had sort of taken power through military coup and he had a treason case and when he was heading to court people were throwing shoes at him so you know it's also used as a form of protest and then just taking that a bit further in sort of um punjabi households i would say specifically and obviously this is super offensive but i mean i'm half punjabi so i feel like i can say it it's also used as like a weapon by mothers like taking their shoes off and threatening to like fling them across the room it's like supposed to be as like a deterrent right to a naughty child yeah exactly and and the key to you know not that i'm saying i've ever had that happen to me obviously obviously the the, the key to that is essentially to go and stand in front of the most expensive thing in the house like find some crystal or find something else and then the shoe will never be flung in your direction because <laughs> you are endangering what is more precious most precious in that house um but yeah it's really interesting because while it's it's sort of it goes from something that you just you take them off to pray or go into holy places to then just use them to kind of register 
um, your protest. And I, I actually read this article about how there was, um, I don't know if he was the Secretary of State or maybe the one of these one of these higher up uh, U.S. officials had actually gone to this meeting with Saddam Hussein back when he was in power. And he'd really offended Saddam because he was sitting cross-legged and the sole of his shoe was pointing to Saddam. And he just thought that that was the ultimate like mark and sign of disrespect. So I would say even sort of in Pakistani culture, but more broadly, like in Arab culture as well, it's it's really sort of shoes are, are, are really considered as something that you can that you can sort of gauge someone's level of respect or lack thereof for you by. So, yeah, I don't think we have something similar in Chinese because, you know, in temples and things, we don't really need to take shoes off. But speaking of interesting shoe related traditions, I'm sure you've heard of the, you know, really ancient Chinese times foot binding practice. Yeah. Did that ever even happen with, um, I guess you're part of Asia, or was that just a very weird Chinese thing? Yeah, so I get uh, the only shoe-related tradition we have is uh, is yeah is is called juta chupai, so hiding the shoe um, okay. at weddings, which which you also have at sort of um, Indian weddings. Um, but essentially, it's just that the the groom's shoe is hidden by the bride's sort of friends and sister. Mash in. Pakistani culture how does the groom get his shoes back because we've got a whole episode on Indian weddings and I like I know in ours the groom has to pay to get his shoes back from the the bride's side does it the same in yours yeah it's it's basically the same but it's like this massive negotiation yeah of like and and some people actually like set the rate before the wedding yes we do that no, but as in, in a way to be like, it can't be less than X amount because mm. it would make us look bad in front of the guests. So it's just like basically like financial detriment. Um, but there's some really funny stories of what happens. And this is actually from my friend's wedding in Goa. Um, so it was an Indian wedding where the shoe hiding ceremony um, was happening while the pundit or the priest was sort of saying the rites. And he had to stop and stop the wedding and stop saying what he was saying because the shoe hiding ceremony created such a racket that the groom got really upset because his like younger brother was being attacked by the bride's friends. And he was like, we have to stop. We have to make sure he's okay. Like, what is happening? And, you know, all the guests and the grandparents were like, what is with these kids? because it is like I don't know if it's the same for you guys but like these are actually like the funner parts of the wedding because especially if there's a big wedding yeah yeah. it's exactly the same I mean I've been to weddings where that has I've never had the wedding stopped I don't think but it's definitely been the distraction from the main event shall we say and yeah yeah exactly and and my maternal grandmother, so my nani. So there's this picture in the house of um actually the moment when the the juta chapai or this shoe hiding ceremony was happening, and she like her whole life would point to that picture really accusingly because essentially in the confusion of all of that happening, um the envelopes which had all the money, so that the equivalent of the red envelopes went missing. And in the picture, you can see this like girl that's kind of leaning over. That's not 
you know, our family or wasn't a close friend of hers. And you could kind of see her hand sort of edging downwards. And my grandmother would always point and be like, she stole all the money during the ceremony. Are you joking? So it's also, yeah. Some random woman stole all of the, like, money basically yeah because everyone is focusing on the shoe everyone is focusing on the negotiation and everything else becomes secondary so actually if if you want to do that it's the best time to just sneak in on stage unnoticed (laughs) wow (laughs) and sort of make the the wedding worth your while basically that's hilarious but yeah yeah and grooms over here are obsessed with the the sort of shoes they wear at their wedding because of this because it becomes such a sort of center of attraction and focus that you really have to think about the shoe that you're wearing to the wedding um and actually this is a weird segue but this just reminded me my aunt told me in in terms of taking shoes off that in in um some sort of rural parts of pakistan there's this like uh there's this i guess tradition or this myth or whatever that if somebody faints the way you should wake them up is by making them smell a shoe and I was just like (laughs) my mind was a bit blown because I was like is it because it smells and she's like I don't know it must be right because it's like a smelly thing it's like don't they say a smell that can wake the dead that's probably what it is it's like smelling salts (laughs) yeah but gross um yeah so with I guess the evolution of Pakistani shoes, are they always flat shoes or have there been heels? Because I don't really know where the... It's mostly, yeah, it's actually mostly been flats. I've, I've not thought about that really. But yeah, the kusas, the chappas, etc. The focus really hasn't been on heels. There has been, like we were talking about earlier, there has been this sort of aspect of wearability and comfort which has always been at the forefront of the shoes that people make here and that are kind of um local to pakistani culture yeah i guess to that point then today in pakistani culture like amongst people our age is there generally your shoe closet would be made up of your traditional Pakistani shoes made from the Muchis and then also some of the really well-known household names you mentioned plus international brands or are people pretty loyal to one style? No, it's it's a mix really because there's obviously so much, you know, with globalization or just so much exposure to different cultures um, that it that's it's actually a mix and and you know similar to how the Peshawari chapel was going out of style um, before Imran Khan sort of brought it back there has been there has been this sort of phase or that you know a number of years where Pakistani fashion kind of took a backseat and people were more focused on international brands but now it's sort of become quote unquote quote cool again okay um so people yeah so people have sort of gone back to local brands and also in the spirit of sort of social enterprises and supporting local businesses and you know that whole like adage of of think globally shop locally kind of a thing so that that's all like played a part into into fashion right because you know it's it's our our all of our lifestyle choices are so strongly influenced by all of these things but yeah I, I definitely say that that it's a mix are all of these shoes meant to be worn without socks like are socks a thing because I can I can imagine nope. like <laughs> traditionally no 
not a thing yeah socks are not a actually it was really interesting for me um when i um came to england to study um and i'm more so actually i think when i started working when i saw how much sort of guys there express themselves through their socks you know because <laughs> you'd have just this like yeah you'd have this like just normal suit or whatever and then suddenly you'd see this like massive pop of color or something really crazy or some comic book character and, and i was like oh <laughs> this is the thing have you guys also noticed this this is only strictly english lads um who would wear shorts like you know sports shorts trainers but have their socks pulled up <laughs> like tennis players this is a very very english thing that i've noticed yeah. if you go on holiday literally <laughs> spot the english guy spot the socks that is a look <laughs> Well, we've had a really fun time listening to the soul of Pakistan and all the stories and the history uh, tied up with shoes. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. It's been really fun chatting to you guys. I really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Culturally Speaking with music by Kevin McLeod. Please rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're on. Get in touch with us on Instagram at Culturally Speaking Podcast or via email. You'll find all the details in our show notes. Tune in next week for more culture. Until then, stay cultured.